0: You're listening to Talking Smart. The official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel and I'm joined today by my co-host Ben Nagy from Smart TD Communications and Michael Blaine from Smart Communications who is producing this episode.
1: Welcome to the 20th episode of Talking Smart. Each month we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada.
0: Over the next two episodes, we will be sitting down with three SMART members who have successfully run for local or state public office. We discussed their sheet metal and transportation careers. What motivated them to run for elected office? What specific steps they took to build and run successful campaigns, as well as key issues they focused on once they were in office? Our
1: featured guest this episode is Joe De La Cruz, a 25-year sheet metal worker with Smart and Vice President of Hillary Company, a signatory metal fabricator located in Groton, Connecticut. Brother De La Cruz is also a state representative, proudly serving the communities of Groton and New London. He was elected in 2016 to his first term in the General Assembly after serving on Groton's Town Council and Representative Town
2: Meeting. What I think inspires people to get involved is when they start actually participating. And you don't have to be elected to do that. All the meetings are open. Just go to your council meeting. And when you hear how other people think and how vastly different sometimes it is in your opinion, that's when the fire can get lit.
0: Throughout our discussion, Brother De La Cruz underscored the importance of being engaged and involved with the local community. If you want to have a say in what happens... Whether it's with local sports leagues or multi-million dollar decisions made about project labor agreements or transportation funding,
2: it's important to get involved. Again, I know it's hard and I know it's it's tough to do because we're sheet metal workers and when you go home, you're still dirty and tired. But if you want to have things go your way and it doesn't really matter what the issue is, you have to be sitting at the table. In addition,
1: listen for the open mic segment with General President Joseph Sellers at the end of this episode. He responds to a question about what steps smart members should take if they decide to run for office.
3: You should get involved at your local union. You should get involved with getting out the vote campaign. This will help prepare you of what it's going to need to build a successful campaign. It starts out with getting into the be the boots on the ground, and then you'll have a, a realization of the next steps to take, because that's what you've done to help other people achieve their goal. Our
0: guest today is Joe De La Cruz, a local 40-sheet metal worker and Connecticut state representative. Joe, I want to welcome you to the podcast.
2: Well, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it.
0: Joe, you've had an interesting couple of years. You're a state representative. You work at Hillary Sheet Metal, and you were the member who launched the recent No Strip project in 2020.
2: It has been a couple interesting years for sure. <laughs> um, you know, with the help of the union, obviously, uh, we were able to kick the whole No Strip program off, and uh, it, it kind of reinforced the idea. The reason why I got in the union back in '97, leaving the non-union behind, is, is because uh, the response I got from other members, my leadership, was pretty incredible. And we were able to, to help a lot of people. You were part of it, so I know you understand it. But to get a call from somebody in Seattle, Washington, that called you earlier that morning crying because they wanted their first responder to have a, a nose strip and the mass that she was making them, to have another member that I never met before on the other side of the country knock on their door like five hours after I had a discussion with her and delivered nose strips, it was um, pretty moving, to say the least.
0: Hell yeah. And it, cho- it just shows the power of when we're all working together, too. Yeah. Yep. You know, they were by the effort that Joe launched. By the time we were done, we gave out 17 million nose strips to over 27,000 different people and different entities, nonprofits, groups like that across the United States, across Canada. So, I mean, it was a big effort. There were about 100 locals that got involved in it. And obviously, as everyone probably can guess, Joe also became the Smart Army member of the year for last year. Based on that effort and what he was able to accomplish.
2: Well, I, I should be accepting that award for for a lot of local people, especially the guys that worked in the shop, guys willing to stay and, and stay overtime and work doing, uh, you know, making sure that, that the strips, you know, we didn't have all the material It came in late and it was it was definitely not just me at all it was in fact it was a local nurse that called and asked if we could make them and we all i did was take a picture and put it on our facebook saying that we'd provide them if other folks were looking for them and the, the calls just poured in so
0: so joe i gotta ask you you've got a lot accomplished during your career what inspired you initially to run for office in the first place
2: well it's, this is the, the the million dollar question everyone asks why and And it actually had to do with uh, a local basketball league. I I was a basketball coach in New London where I grew up. And when I brought my daughter to play here in Groton, uh, she was playing the first half. It was 9 to 10. And they took the break. They went back on the court. It was 0 to 0. And I went to the scorer's table to just inform them if they forgot that it was 10 to 9. And they said that they don't like to keep score because it's, it's just for fun. And I'm not the most competitive guy in the world, but I think when you're 12 years old, you should know who won or lost. You know, it's important to learn how to lose and win. Um, Like I said, not ultra competitive, but that became a sticking point for me. Uh, I called someone that was local and asked them, you know, how I get involved. And I knew they were locally involved. And she directed me to what's called the Representative Town Meeting, RTM. And I ran for that in 2000 and won the seat. If you're from New England, you probably understand what an RTM is. If you're from anywhere else, you don't. It's more like a 40-member body in our town that breaks down neighborhood by neighborhood. So I represented my neighborhood for six years, actually, on the RTM. And what inspired me to even go further was once I got elected and I was able to actually change that policy because I became the chairman of the Park and Rec Commission for the RTM. And when we had the folks in the room that mattered and from Parks and Recs, once we had their ear... And I was chairing a meeting and asking them these questions because uh, the, the townspeople, they wanted to keep score. And again, like I said, we're not this ultra high competitive town, but we also have the value of kids knowing if they want a law. So to be able to join politics and as minute as it may seem to get something passed, you know, inspired me to move on because that meant, you know, maybe I could inspire other counselors later on when I ran for council to sign a PLA agreement to move legislation that, again, I know it's hard and I know it's, it's tough to do because we're sheet metal workers and when you go home, you're still dirty and tired. But if you wanna have things go your way and it doesn't really matter what the issue is, you have to be sitting at the table
1: you know, that's the main part of getting involved. You know, you see the need for change and you want to be that change. But one of the big challenges that I think anyone who is interested in running for office is just after you've made the decision, well, you need the resources in order to put together a good run. You started out at the very, you know, micro local level, and now you are a representative. How did you approach the, that big challenge of raising funds
2: well i'm very fortunate in the state that i live in somebody had the forethought and a lot of it was because we had a governor that had some, there was some campaign finance things that were very questionable and actually went to prison for a short time. But out of that came a good program and it's called the Citizens Elections Program. So I basically, because I represent the two towns and about 40,000 folks in my voting district, if I qualified by having folks that live in my district and outside of my district donate money to me. So I needed 150 folks that lived in my district with my voting district. They were able to give me any donation ranging from $5-$5. 250. My first run, I never didn't have one $250 donor, didn't even have the heart to ask anybody for $250 to run. But our state set up the program where if we get the 150 in-district signatures and total more than $5,200. We get a grant from the state that gets deposited into a, an election account for us. The total ends up being about $33,000. And that is something that I probably wouldn't have been able to run without it. Once somebody's an incumbent and you're trying to run against them, they've been in your mailbox already for the last year and a half or two years. They've already run a campaign. Maybe they ran five campaigns. They're in the newspaper for every christening of every vote. In every opening day of every little league. Uh, so it's really important. And, and I know we're one of the few states that have it. But if you plan on running another state, uh, look into that first because there are opportunities. And I'm sure your committees and Democratic town committees would help you with it. But that's how I was able to actually run for a state position. Without that money, I'm not sure I'd be able to do it.
0: Let me ask you as a follow up on that Were you able to get endorsements from the other trades or the rest of the labor movement when you first ran too?
2: Yeah, because of my, I do have strong ties to labor. I have the company I work for locally. Uh, we work hand in hand with our so our longshoremen were, we're behind me. Uh, obviously, Local 40 was a great help. They donated to the DTC. Um, they actually did some knocking on doors. I'm also in the same town as Electric Boat, which has 10,000 union folks that work there. You know, the struggle being that a lot of those folks have kind of defected the, the Democratic Party. So the fact that they knew me and knew me from as a professional level, I was able to get them to come on board with me, but it's getting harder and harder, I'd say. So the outreach I had, I think just because I'm local and able to, to raise funds that way, it was, you know, again, I can't raise a dollar after we get that 5,200. So that it does limit you if you're going against somebody that has all the money in their self-funding. Well, most people don't, not for state rep races.
0: You mentioned electric boats. So for a lot of people who don't understand what electric boat is, what kind of town why Electric Boat is over there in New London. Could you tell us a little bit about Electric Boat and kind of how New London, the Groton area is built, right? And what makes it unique when it
2: comes to that? What makes it unique is where we're actually the only uh, military base in Connecticut, only one of two that have a nuclear license, we, you know, Norfolk, Virginia, and then Groton, Connecticut, where we're actually building and dropping in the water, nuclear powered submarines two a year. That's been the new budget. Our whole entire economy is surrounded by it. And, you know, we have, we've had a lot of, as a result of that, and because they union over electric boat, we're fortunate to have a, a lot of folks that earn decent wages. You know, it hasn't trickled to the, the smaller private industries. We have the same battle that everybody else has, but, you know, we were able to raise minimum wage in Connecticut. That's another thing that I think most people, when they get involved in politics, they get up there and realize a lot of those questions that they're being asked to vote on don't just impact them, they impact their family and friends. And those are the kinds of results that you get to do when you run. For me to affect things that happen to Electric Boat and know that we can set up even some kind of tax incentives for Electric Boat, knowing that they're going to expand, because those are the companies that we want to expand. Uh, we want to make sure that you know if you're going to be a legislator, you're not expanding and giving folks tax breaks, that create Jobs that that pays you know low wages enough where they're coming back to the government looking for extra money. That's my most proud thing that we do. My work here at, at Hillary, I would say about eighty percent of our business is related to electric boat. In the United States Navy, we do work at the casinos, but uh, the amount of work we do for Electric Boat, knowing that, you know, I was never in the military, but knowing a lot of the work that we do actually is intricate part of the defense of our country and actually having, you know, relationships with these young families through my coaching years, knowing that these young families from all over the country land and grind and they've never been to the area and uh, us knowing that legislatively I can fight for them before they ever got here. So when they do land here, we have programs in place where we're helping our military families. And uh, if you can tell, I'm very proud, but I, I think everyone's proud of where they live. And I'm just a guy that's not going anywhere, if put it that way.
1: You know, that's that's a great point. And when you're running for office, uh, it's all about establishing relationships and finding effective ways to communicate with your constituents. Uh, if you can kind of think back to, you know, when you were running for a local office And then now as a representative, what ways or what avenues worked best for you while you were running for election or re-election?
2: A lot of it is campaigning and knocking on doors. Everyone I talked to in the beginning said, Joe, you have to knock on doors. Being a sheet metal worker, if you're someone listening and you want to run, uh, we know that the competition that's probably retired or maybe a, profession, a professional, they can move their schedules around and knock when this light out. We don't have that ability. So it's going to be a lot of Saturdays and Sundays where you're wearing out your shoes and walking and meeting people and talking. Uh, I was able to do that. But a lot of it was I'm um, someone that will think outside the box. And where I was meeting most of the folks, because I didn't have time, I got to be here at work at seven o'clock. So at 5.30, I was waking up in the campaign season for about three months and making sure I was standing in line at Dunkin' Donuts where people were driving out. I did it at McDonald's because the folks that are getting coffees, that are, they usually stop right when they get in their car before they get on the highway to drive 40 minutes or a half hour. Or even if they live in town and they work on the other side of town, they stop at that first coffee shop or McDonald's. Those folks that are there at six, seven o'clock in the morning, they're usually local people. And I met more voters that way. You don't get a lot of time to talk to them, but I think they appreciate seeing you out there and you can announce or at least say, hey, look me up on Facebook and see what I'm trying to do. And just keep, make sure you have a a social media presence. Uh, I've done very well with that. Uh, Just making videos uh, around town. It doesn't have to be all political. It could be you building something. I take pictures of handrails that we build and put in the casino. There's a lot of things I'd love to put in the journal that we build here that are absolutely incredible, but it's all trainers for the Navy and uh, we can't get pictures out. Uh, I just encourage every time you're out, you're running and you left a picnic, a union picnic or a, a police picnic, whatever you were at, if you left and folks don't know who you are or that you're running, then you missed an opportunity.
1: BNSF employees kept America moving during the pandemic while making the company billions of dollars in record profits. In return, BNSF thanked them with a high-vis attendance policy that would destroy families, ruin lives, and threatens the safety of the very railroaders who made them successful. Contact your congressperson now by texting NOHIVIZ, that's N-O-H-I-V-I-Z, to 67336 to send them a message. Tell them to back the workers who kept America moving. Do it today. Message and data rates may apply.
0: So Joe, let me ask you this. What could SMART do differently, either at the local level, the international level, to help support campaigns like yours?
2: Yeah, so campaigns like mine in the beginning, RTM in the town council, which always operate outside of normal working hours, My first nine years in local government, I never missed one day or one hour of work. There were some ceremonies and ribbon cuttings that I just didn't make. But it's it's expected on council, on RTM, everyone knows that you're probably working full time. When you get to the state level, and I was reaching out before because I'm heartbroken. And I I don't know if you guys have heard, but I did make an announcement on the house floor uh, that I'm not gonna seat my fourth term. I've been up there for six years. And I honestly was figuring a way that I could do both. And we've gotten so busy here I love my work and I love my job. And we all know the disparity between the money that you make as a union sheet metal worker, which in Connecticut, if if I work a full 2000 hours, I'll make, you know, about 90 or $95,000, depending on what kind of overtime we had. The state legislature pays $28,000. My first year, when I first got elected, somebody stood up on the House floor and mentioned that we should take a 10% cut because times are hard for folks that are in our state. And although I agree with that, I think what's happening, not just in my state, but around our country, folks that run for offices that are at the level where I'm at are usually retired professionals. And the comparison that I give most is if I was a lawyer and I was walking out of the law firm and I hear it a lot, a lot of lawyers up there, they actually get paid for the whole entire time that they leave and they're legislating. And it's tough because, you know, when I leave here, I'm leaving guys that are blue collar, that are sitting there welding and only understand work when you've got your nose to the grindstone and you're doing something physical. And it's hard for them to see the benefit or reap the benefit. And anyone on this call, I'm um, I'm sure they know because they've been at union meetings and union leadership will always take a beating. God, they don't care about us. They just do this and they just do that. There's this imaginary cabal that runs everything. And in the end, they don't see the value of me leaving here. And I think we need to demonstrate to our members, if the profession of a lawyer or a real estate agent or insurance agent, if they see value in having members that do the same work they do being up there, then we should too. And for me to be the only union construction worker out of 156 people up there, it's not really representative of who our state is. You know, I feel like I was the only blue collar up there. There are a couple guys up there that are electricians, but they're the owners of the company. So it's not representing the blue collar part of it. What SMART could do, I think, is locally, we we need to take the conversation back and let them know that the things that we vote for, like I did, I'll say Democrat, I'm going to vote for a raise for the CBAC agreement, which is our collective bargaining agreement with our state employees, and we're going to get absolutely killed on it. And I can tell you because I've heard other union members say, oh, you're just bound to the union again, Joe, from union members. We just have to remind them, and I don't know how we do it, because the conversation's been lost on them. It's, it's gone in some other direction. Union vote used to be reliable because we always associated it with our paycheck. And now we've, they've been able to take politics and somehow take votes that should no way or shape or form be going on the Republican side and they're getting them. And it's because they're winning the, con- they don't win the war, they don't win the conversation when it comes to voting on contracts, but they've been able to splinter the group, whether it's a social issue or whatever issue that they have of the day abortion. Uh, there's a lot of different issues And I get it, you know, but I think we got to get our members to realize that for the mental health of ourselves, for our communities, that the most important thing a lot of times is our insurance, our pay, Uh, that gives us access to a lot of different things. And maybe, maybe start the campaign there, showing the union, or maybe giving a comparison what a non-union person goes through every day. Because I say, unfortunately, but fortunately, I think for my first years of my career, I was a non-union sheet metal worker. And when I tried to organize the company and told the guys that I worked with, how much money I was going to make. They thought it was a lie. I left me and three other guys left. And we all are talking about our retirements now. And at 51 years old, I'm about five or six years away where I could really start planning. And the guys I left behind almost 30 years ago, They say they're just going to work till they're dead. And they wish that they made that move with me. But I I also understand why they didn't, you know, because they were scared. And we got to realize, especially union people, that it doesn't come automatic just because you might have been lucky and gotten the union or you might have a friend or family or father that was in the union and got you in. But that's not the case for everybody. And we need to talk with dignity and respect to everyone if we're going to have them join us.
1: You know, that's that's going to be a great challenge. Uh, You know, there are important elections uh, going ahead, uh, trying to get, you know, the union back to being united and, and looking at those pocketbook issues. And honestly, one of the things that we also need to kind of consider is inspiring more union members to go ahead and run for office. You know, maybe someone listening to the podcast might have a little bit of trepidation or fear in taking that plunge, What kind of advice do you have for someone who might just right now be on the fence considering a run for office? What could they do and what do you think that a union person can do to just kind of take that plunge?
2: The first thing that you should do is whatever office you're looking to hold, whether it's a town council or the RTM, like I mentioned, or if it's a planning and zoning board in your town, you know, we forget about those boards. And I've seen planning and zoning boards stop large projects. In fact, they just stopped a data center from going in in our town. What I think inspires people to get involved is when they start actually participating. And you don't have to be elected to do that. All the meetings are open. Just go to your council meeting. And when you hear how other people think and how vastly different sometimes it is in your opinion, that's when the fire can get lit. When somebody says something on a floor, it doesn't matter what level of politics it is. For me, it was someone making a decision that they were going to not keep score at 12-year-olds. That kind of lit a fire in my heart. And once I got there and end up getting my way all the way up to the state representative position and realizing some of the stuff people say on the House floor, and you don't have to leave your home anymore. Every meeting that I attend is on TV. People say some really offensive things about labor, but they get this free pass because nobody's paying attention. And I think if a regular working collar person listened to some of the things that the folks that I vote against almost on every issue If we got to listen to those kinds of conversations instead of just, and I'm not, listening. this is not an endorsement of every Democrat. I've had some very tough discussions with folks that don't want to vote on labor contracts because they don't understand them. So really the challenge, I think, of getting somebody inspired is just having somebody have the time. Don't watch your favorite TV show that night. Don't go do something that you normally, there's a lot of nights where there's nothing on TV. Go surf through, find a meeting. I don't care if it's your board of education meeting. Those meetings will inspire you. I, I promise you that.
1: And, uh, you know, it's a good idea because, you know, there are so many other things that just kind of distract people. So, you know, turn off the TV, maybe turn off partisan radio and yes. just, you know, deal with what's out in front of you and what's local. And then that might end up snowballing and getting you, you know, going in the right direction. Yeah, every
2: single change that's ever happened that was big in America started with somebody's idea that lived in a town like Groton or someplace in Illinois or Iowa or California. And it was somebody's idea that they were either mistreated or they were treated really well. And they wanted to bring that idea to some kind of a body. And and that's how change happens. And to me, I don't watch partisan radio. We talked about what happens in the shop here at Hillary Company. We play music. When I get in my car at the end of the day, I play music. When it comes time to legislate, I listen to facts that come out of people's mouths that are in the situation, and I read. I do listen to, you know, World News Tonight. I'll get my, my World News. But even that, you know, I tell everyone, I watched it last night. The top story was a woman that fell off the side and died in the Grand Canyon. I reminded everybody at work that there's 350 million people in America. And the one they wrote a story about was not the person who retired from the Sheet Metal workers Union after 40 good years. And he's still healthy. And nobody hurt each other at the meeting that or at the party. But the top story was somebody that passed away that, and although sad and shocking, and I understand that with 350 million people, we can't report all the good news, be impossible. But I'm an optimistic person. And I know there's a lot more good news that happens in this country. Like the no strip story never made the news other than our local area here in Connecticut that I saw it. It it wasn't national news, but it was a movement to me that brought together a lot of my brothers and sisters in our union, but it brought together our community here and didn't make the news because why would it? There's a lot worse things you can report on like a car accident or something.
3: You're listening to Talking Smart, Mobilize, organize, unionize.
0: Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union
3: leadership? Call us toll free at 844 984 0947 with your questions or ideas.
0: Once again, 844 984 0947. So I got to tell you, I wish uh, I live in Virginia and I wish we had uh, a couple of people like you down here in Virginia. <laughs> Maybe someday after you retire, you can think about moving down here run for office because we, we could use somebody like you. Let uh, me tell you
2: something. I live everywhere. There's people that live just like me. They're just not inspired or they're inspired the wrong way. Again, you said it's, it's when you said it's going to be hard to move the union and it's hard. You know, I, I talk with guys all the time that 1000 percent vote against their best interest all the time. But I understand, too, when I got in politics, I didn't know a lot about it. Once you start talking policy to somebody and telling somebody why you voted for something because of a policy issue and how it affects like early head start and how it affects crime 20 years later, people get glassy eyed and it's long and they don't, you know, you worked eight hours and then you drove for three because you're a construction worker and you want to see your kids for a couple hours before they go to bed. And, you know, I tell everyone, meet somebody, Democrat or Republican, see how they are, see who they are, because they're the ones that are going to be speaking for you at two. o'clock in the morning when you're sleeping, whether or not, you know, a certain social issue gets passed or raises for your police officers get passed, or if they decide to put that extra money into the school, or if they're going to build it with union labor or not union labor. So know who you're voting for, look up their voting record, forget how nice of a person because I'm a really, really nice person. And I can, I feel like I can bring a crowd in and people say, geez, Joe's nice, but I could be voting exactly opposite everything that means anything to you. (laughs) Like against your wages, against your health benefits, against the way, you know, the year you're gonna get to collect social security one day or how you can collect in Connecticut. Am I gonna tax it? So those are things that we have to follow and and stop following all, like you said, the, the crazy news that riles everybody up. Because while everyone's concerned about these issues that are separating our country right now, I have 22-year-old police officers in my town that say, you know, I wish I could be 25 because if I was born three years sooner, I'd still have a pension. I don't have one. And then the 25-year-old's looking at the 40-year-old saying, I wish I'd had it like him. When did that start happening? We've lost sight of what matters. We're losing it more and more every day, but let's inspire people that way. Inspire them to fight for the inch-by-inch fight that we have ahead of us. A lot of the young kids want everything back tomorrow. They're saying that our Democratic Party is split. Well, I understand it. If I'm 22 and I'm looking at a guy that's only three years older than me talking about how the good old days when we used to have a pension, that's frustrating. And I understand why we're going to have that fracture. And we better start listening to these young kids because they're going to be the ones in control. And again, I think they want to turn that switch tomorrow to where everything's back to where it used to be and pensions are back. Uh, But the same way that people fought from the 20s all the way to the 70s to get us. I think the peak of the union was in the 70s. And then when Ronnie Reagan came in and did what he did, I think that was a downward slope. You know, day by day, little cuts at a time to get us where we are. But the young folks have to understand that it's going to be it's one inch by inch and it starts at RTM meetings and, and town halls and then it works its way up. But get involved.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It took a long time. It took lots of years. Child labor, getting rid of child labor took 90 years They fought for that. Yep. Just for that. Just the right to have a union. They didn't get it until the 1930s. That's like a generation and a half ago.
2: We went back into the 70s and told people that we, we were fighting to not be able to have companies in Connecticut, blue Connecticut, uh, have private meetings with employees while they're having lunch in their lunchroom, that we have to make rules and laws to ban that. I, I think they would say, well, Russia must have got us or something because there's no way that would happen. Yeah, I have young kids now asking me why a company should have to pay for paid vacations. That They have us against the ropes. It's our whole mentality. It's the workers that are hurting ourselves. And I don't know how we... I'm not sure how we do it. Like I said, I think the the radio has been a a huge tool for the folks that are, you know, everybody's bad that wants extra money or vacation. I just don't know how we get all the way back. And I think it's going to be the same way we got there. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be day by day. But I think we're going to have to dedicate ourselves to podcasts like this, taking over radio spots. The little TV show I started, I started it, it's public access. And uh, it's not even political. It's called Born Political, but it was because I believe everyone's born political. And I just interview local people, Republicans, Democrats, whoever well, I once got on the show. And they, I put a, a face to them, a human touch that shows that they, they have family, that they have wants and needs, that they they want health insurance, and they want the same things that we want, just in hopes that we start respecting each other. Uh, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback from some hardcore Democrats and hardcore Republicans that say, you know, I watched that show you did uh, with that Republican that I hated. And actually, he's actually not that bad of a person. And he was a former mayor. And I worked with him. I knew he wasn't a bad, evil person. Uh, but we cast these these nets on people. And a, a lot of times, uh, they want us in our corners. Because this it's issues that we're all split on. The Democratic Party, there's a lot of things that bother me about the Democratic Party and some of the directions we're taking, but we have a big tent and there's a lot of people. And just because they put an idea out, um, that means that, OK, we'll hammer it out and get you as close to your ideas as I'm comfortable with. But, you know, politics game is one person puts something out and you own it. And I don't care what part of the party you are. You can be a conservative Democrat. And if somebody on the liberal side throws something out, you have to live with it. Um, no, no. The ideas out there, and I don't blame the person for doing it. They got elected because they had those ideas. Now we hammer it out and we work in the middle and figure out where the, the truth is always in the middle. My grandmother was right. I did learn that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, I want to thank you for being on this podcast, for the time you took to be here. I know you got your regular job, you got your other job, you know, in Hartford, the state capital. We really appreciate you taking the time to be here. You
2: well, know, thanks for having me on. Uh...
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people out there who are thinking about running for office and guys like you, who you, they're looking up at, right? You're, right? you're one of the guys breaking ground for them. So we really appreciate you taking that time.
2: Well, hopefully, yeah. And if anyone ever has any questions for me, they can find me and, and email me or call me. I, I, I talk a lot, <laughs> as you see.
0: Nothing wrong with that. No.
1: <laughs> Smart has launched a brand new home on the internet your source for up-to-date personalized information from your union, including the Sheet Metal Job Bank, Transportation Division safety reports, breaking news, and more. Visit smart-union.org and create an account at the member portal to find personalized resources just for you. Sign-up instructions are located at the top of the homepage of the website in the red alert section.
0: Welcome to the open mic segment of the podcast we have on with us general president joseph sellers who's here to answer a question for members who listen to this podcast and they themselves are interested in running for office general president Sellers, welcome to the podcast
3: yeah thank you paul it's great to be here again i really enjoy uh, being able to sit and hear the podcast but also be engaged in the questions that our members have so thank you
0: thank you the question we have is a question that members who have listened all the way through to this end of the podcast are going to naturally have, after listening to what Joe De La Cruz had to say, what steps should they take when they decide to run for office?
3: Uh, good question. Really good question. So we do have members that run and hold a variety of uh, positions in an in a, in elected office you know, throughout the United States. We want to help them. We want that member to be able to run a successful campaign if that's the direction that they want to go in. We've developed information and resources for members to walk through. There's things on our website and resources for them to be able to review and guide. But I would say that you should get involved at your local union. You should get involved with getting out the vote campaign. This will help prepare you of what it's going to need to build a successful campaign. You know, frankly, this is one of the earliest things that I did at my local union was be part of the team to get out the vote team which meant a variety of things. You know, getting involved in your local community, participating in service organizations, you know, boards and committees, and you get to know those elected leaders within your committee, which will be very helpful. The smart army, I believe, will be very helpful for you too. That smart army that is in your local that has been working in the community and introducing you to people that would be very helpful. Uh, There's also training. The AFL-CIO has a path to power training. This is designed to teach union members to be able to run for local office. And then that gives you the gateway to the AFL-CIO Central Labor Council or the state fed. That would also be very helpful. You know, also talk to your local union. Make sure your local knows that you're interested seek their endorsement at the local level. But then you can also go to the Central Labor Council and you can also go to the state fed and and the state building trades too. So those are areas that will help you get started, introduce you, but it is roll your sleeves up, put sweat equity into your campaign to be successful. So these organizations will help you get out to the community and and get to know people and uh, help you seek an endorsement in that fashion as well. The other thing you're going to need to do is you're going to need a budget, right? You're going to need to know what it's going to take to have a successful campaign. You're going to need to develop fundraising. And so being the boots on the ground helps you through these planning stages, as I'm identifying as you go along, to have a successful campaign. The other thing you need to have is a strong ground game. The boots on the ground, as I described it. Going back to being part of your locals' get-out-the-vote. So being part of the Get Out the Vote, it's volunteers knocking on doors. It's volunteers putting up yard signs. It's volunteers putting door hangers on. There's also volunteers that do labor walks and phone banks, you know, calling constituents and things like that. So being engaged in your Locals Get Out the Vote campaign helps you with a lot of these things, helps you see and realize how to achieve what you aspire to and the position that you want to achieve. So I really appreciate the question. I think that we can do a better job at helping members to be elected officials within their community or maybe within their state or even bigger. But it starts out with getting into the be the boots on the ground. And then you'll have a, a realization of the next steps to take because that's what you've done to help other people achieve their goal. And now you're going to need people and volunteers to help you achieve your goal. So great question. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. And you know, for a long time, a lot of people have been running for office from different groups and having the voice of labor and especially the voice of smart members is going to ensure that we've got a say in what's going on in our local communities. And it affects every member, affects all of us. So thank you to everybody who's looking at stepping up and running in the local communities. And there's a lot of resources out there for you. Take advantage
3: of them. Absolutely, Paul. Thank you.
0: Thank you, General President Sellers. Thank you for being here on this podcast. And we look forward to having you on next time. My pleasure. Listeners
1: interested in learning more about the status of the National Rail Contract Negotiations and our union's ongoing opposition to BNSF's high-vis attendance policy can download episode 19 of the Talking Smart podcast that features Transportation President Jeremy Ferguson, That's available anytime through the news menu link at the top of the smart website or wherever you listen to podcasts.